0: Hi, I'm Eric-Angevine. Welcome to Radio Superfly. Currently, I'm in the middle of a three-part series examining the development of Afro-Cuban music and its subsequent effect on the rest of the world. In the first episode, I looked at the way African and Spanish influences came together to form Son. In this part, I'm going to check out how Cuban music blended with American jazz in the period between World War II and the politically motivated isolation of the Cold War. I'll once again quote liberally from Raul A. Fernandez's book titled From Afro-Cuban Rhythms to Latin Jazz. Throughout the early part of the 20th century, Caribbean immigrants frequently landed in New Orleans, contributing to that city's thriving cultural gumbo. One of the earliest jazz musicians, Jelly Roll Morton, spoke often about the necessity of the, quote, Spanish tinge in his music. Latin elements in American jazz went from subliminal to overt during the Second World War, perhaps in part because enlistment and wartime austerity measures made it difficult for large U.S. swing bands to stay in business. However it happened, Cuban band leader Mario Bautza and singer Machito had a bona fide hit with a tune called Tanga in 1943. Tanga, burro We call the influx of rock bands from the UK in the 1960s the British Invasion, so I like to think of tanga as the start of the Cuban invasion. Bautsa and Machito brought a purely Cuban sound to their first hit, but a true sign of Cuba's penetration of US musical culture was collaboration between Afro-Cuban and African-American jazz artists. In 1947, legendary bebop trumpeter Dizzy Gillespie teamed up with the multi-talented Cuban singer, dancer, percussionist, and composer Chano Pozo to pen a hugely popular tune called Manteca. In the late 1940s, a band leader by the name of Perez Prado began to popularize Mambo, which took America by storm. A then-little-known journalist by the name of Gabriel Garcia Marquez wrote a poetic description of the genre's sound. Quote, mambo is a mix of trumpet slices, minced saxophones, drum gravy, and diced piano, all well-seasoned. End quote. The bebop counterculture was taking American jazz in a more cerebral direction, but mambo was still for dancing. Prado earned the love of ballroom couples in 1955 with a massive hit called Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom White. Legendary Cuban percussionist Carlos Valdez, who went by the nickname Patato, brought authoritative Cuban rhythms to multiple collaborations with American and Cuban musicians alike. Quote He arrived in the United States in 1954, playing at various times with Tito Puente, Machito, and Herbie Mann, and recording under his own name a number of important percussion sessions. A master of obtaining melodic tones from his tumbas, Patato's name became synonymous with conga drumming. His humor, grace, and showmanship also contributed greatly to the popularity of the conga drum sound in Latin jazz." End quote. I like this 1955 tune titled Aphrodisia, which Patato recorded with trumpeter Kenny Dorham for the influential Blue Note label. <laughs> In his book, Raúl Fernández points to bass player Cachao López as the standard-bearer for a new direction in Afro-Cuban music. Quote, Cachao's most famous contribution looked to transform the hottest Cuban rhythm music into a listening style, at least in part. I mean, of course, the famous Cachao Descargas of the 1950s. It is true that many people recorded Descargas, and Cachao was not the first. But his were the most influential and are still used as examples of the best jam session style in Cuban music. His rhythmic approach to the bass helped define the role of that instrument in Latin jazz, and influenced bass in all of jazz as well end quote. <laughs> percussionist who made a huge splash in Cuba and the United States was Mongo Santa Maria whose background seemed tailor-made for a restless musical innovator Quote, one of the most commonly told stories about Mongo is that he was a mailman in Cuba before leaving for the United States this circumstance kept Mongo from establishing himself as a percussionist with any particular group for a long period of time on the other hand, it allowed him to play and become familiar with an impressive number of the most popular music groups of the 1940s and 1950s. End quote. When he did arrive in the States, Santa Maria continued to collaborate with many artists and explore new pathways. Quote, After his initial recordings with Perez Prado and Tito Puente, he led the way in the recording of deep-rooted folkloric pieces in the Afro-Cuban tradition, helped develop Latin jazz on the West Coast through his many recordings with Cal Jader, and pointed Latin jazz to the charanga format. He kept his feet and hands firmly planted in the best traditions of son and rumba-based Cuban music, while contributing his own personal fusion of R&B, jazz, and Latin sound. His drumming and compositions influenced an entire generation of African-American musicians interested in all things black, as evidenced by the many recordings by jazz musicians of his tune Afro Blue." One of my formative educational experiences was taking a popular intro to jazz course at the University of Kansas. The instructor, a well-known music educator and public radio announcer by the name of Dick Wright, encouraged us to reject the static approach to history, where musical eras were strictly defined within a span of years. He taught us that music, like the rest of history, is constantly in flux, but that we could identify artists he called transitional figures, who smoothed the changeovers from one popular genre or style to the next. In my research for this three-episode series, it became abundantly clear that Celia Cruz plays that role for the growth of Cuban music. As Professor Fernandez put it in his book, quote, Celia Cruz was synonymous with the Afro-Cuban sound for 50-some years. In the 1940s, Celia sang Yoruba chants over Cuba's national radio stations and traveled to Mexico and Venezuela as a singer backing up the mambo dance show of the Mulatas de Fuego. It was her work as the vocalist for the Sonora Montequera in the 1950s that made Cuban dance tunes popular all over Latin America and in the Latino diaspora in the United States. Twenty years later, her collaborations with Tito Puente, Pacheco, Willie Colon, and others led to the diffusion of pan-Afro-Latino sounds via the salsa concept. Perhaps no other individual has so popularized the sounds that lie at the root of Latin jazz. End quote. In that spirit, here's Celia Cruz with Willie Colon, teasing our upcoming third episode about salsa.
1: Paga la luz, que quiero rezar, para ver si tú puedes trabajar y puedes traer a la mesa el pan al anochecer. El triste infortunio de aquellos que sufren, trabaja, trabaja y trabaja y no ven el fruto por enfermedad o estado social.
0: So far in this series, we've listened to Afro-Cuban music as it developed on the small island nation of Cuba, and then heard how it mixed with the African-American sounds of the neighboring United States. Next, we'll hear what happened when Cuban music expanded out into the world, met its Spanish-speaking cousins, and helped light the fuse on the global explosion of salsa music. Thanks again for joining me on Radio Superfly. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Latin jazz.